Hello, leaders, and welcome to Connections, the podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Iverson, leader content strategist here at Mops International. One of the core values at Mops International is that we welcome all moms. Let me read the exact words of this principle. Mops is a place where every mom is welcomed and affirmed as a human being created in God's image. Regardless of her lifestyle choices, beliefs, mistakes, political leanings, habits, relational status, or any other qualifiers. The MOPS program is designed to be a place where there are no barriers that keep her from coming to a group. This episode is the second in a series where we are going to dig into some of the moms that aren't always represented well in groups around the globe. We want to help you, the leader, better understand how your life as a mom is different and yet very similar to other moms. We're also going to give you some practical ways that you can support moms in your group. Today, we are focusing on working moms. Now, I know that every mom is a working mom. But for today, we are going to focus on the mom who has someone or some organization that dictates her schedule and tasks and compensates her financially for that. In other words, don't get wrapped up in the terminology of working mom, but hear our heart to reach all moms. Today, I'm chatting with Meredith King. And after that conversation, I'm going to chat with Sarah Ferraro, our membership manager here at MOPS International and fellow working mom. These conversations were eye-opening to me and gave me some new tools in how I can interact with other moms. Leaders, I am so excited about our guest today. Today we have with us Meredith King. Meredith is a world-class leader a life-changing coach, and a nonprofit executive. In addition to two decades of ministry and nonprofit leadership, Meredith pulls from her lived experience as a pastor's kid, a pastor's wife, and a working mom. She invests in thousands of top-level leaders worldwide every year through executive coaching, insanely practical strategic planning and wisdom-filled keynotes. If you had the opportunity to hear her at MomCon, it was amazing. Meredith is the Executive Director of Integris Leadership, founder and board member of True to Life Ministries, and the author of Immovable, Reflections to Build Your Life and Leadership on Solid Ground. She and her amazing husband, David, have been married for 16 years and have two energetic daughters, Abigail and Ella. And Meredith says that she survives on coffee and queso. And I will tell you, that makes you a friend for life, Meredith. Welcome. (laughs) I love it, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Hey, if you like queso and coffee, we're going to be just fine. Absolutely. I honestly think they were meant to be food groups. So I am so glad to know that you are a fellow sister in that. Well, Meredith, that was a lot. um, But I think that is something that we talk about when we talk about working moms in general. Life is very, very full. And um, you know that very well. So I'm glad that we get to talk today a little bit about 
working moms and what life is like for a working mom? I am too, Jennifer. I think it's it's a fun topic. It's an important topic. And it's a lived experience that I think we both uh, know really well. So I'm, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Right. And I will say, um, part of the reason I wanted to interview you about this is I actually was a stay-at-home mom for probably 10 or 11 years of my motherhood. And then I became a full-time working mom. And I don't think I fully understood how different the two were, and yet at the same time, how many similarities we had. Mm -hmm. Um, But living in both of those, I think it's really important for all of our leaders to have a good understanding of sort of life as a working mom, Um, not only for validation for working moms, but also understanding for those that aren't working moms. And when I say the term working mom, I want to just dispel right now. All moms are working moms. We are using the term working mom as someone who is dividing her time and focus between family and work responsibilities and most likely gets paid to work. Yes. <laughs> okay. yes. If that's, if that's a, and I say most likely because there's always the possibility that you are a working mom who does it as a volunteer basis. But I that is the that is the distinction that I'm using right now. And I know that that's a broad term and as being a stay-at-home mom, I know I definitely was still a working mom. So I don't want to have anybody think, but I work. That's that's the the definition I want to work with today. I think that's great, Jennifer. I think it's a great disclaimer. And I love that you bring a unique perspective that I don't have. So this is really, uh, I think, going to be a, a valuable discussion because you've lived both as a stay-at-home mom and then a mom who entered the workplace. And my experience is exclusively as a mom in the workplace. I, I did not stay at home. Uh, my oldest is 11, my youngest is seven, and I've worked uh, all of my adult life. In fact, I, I started working as, as young as I could. I think I was 15 when I had my first paying job. And um, so my experience is a little different. But isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ, though, that we have all of these different lived experiences, and then we all get to come together and learn from each other. And I just think that's beautiful. Well, and I think it's a a time where we often hear um, extremes. I mean, I think there's a lot of things in our in our life that feel a little bit like um, one end of the spectrum or the other. You're a working mom or you're a stay-at-home mom. And the reality is we're all moms. We all want to um, raise our kids the best we possibly can. And so uh, we know that though we have that similar goal, mm-hmm. but... I I want to know, just kind of starting off, can you tell us a little bit about um, working moms in sort of a general term? What are some characteristics that you see um, in working moms? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think you're right. And I think you laid a great groundwork for us, Jennifer, and that there are lots of reasons why um, mothers work and, and it looks different, you know, for every mom who works outside of her home or from home to earn an income. 
and and I think that we have more in common um, as mothers than we maybe have differences. But I, one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you are initiating this conversation is because from a ministry strategy, and and as we strategize about how mops can be increasingly effective at pulling in mothers into this profound opportunity for community and faith building opportunities, we've got to understand who the moms are and, and who, who the women are in our communities and in our local churches and in our neighborhoods. And I think a little known fact by both working mothers and women who stay at home is that 70% of moms work outside of their home. 70% of mothers are working mothers who are earning an income and contributing to their household. And, you know, when we look at the landscape in our country, uh, and I know MOPS is international, but in, in, in the United States specifically, 50% of the American workforce are women. And so I think a lot of working mothers actually assume that they are the minority, that the majority of mothers stay home. And that's not true. Statistically speaking, and even globally speaking, that is not the case. And I think that's important for us to understand as we strategize, you know, how do we move toward mothers in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our churches? Who are they? Where are they? What is their reality so that we can effectively kind of pull them in? I think working moms uh, a, a common characteristic is the tension that they experience. I think a common reality is that they feel as though if work is winning, home is losing. And if home is winning, then work is losing. And so it's this constant tug of war that they often find themselves uh, kind of in this game of tug of war that they didn't intend to sign up for. I've not coached or been friends with or looked in the mirror at myself uh, at any working mother uh, that didn't at some point in time experience that tension between work and home and wondering, can I really win at doing both? And then, then I think that, you know, another characteristic of working moms is that regardless of why they work and working mothers work for all sorts of reasons. I, I even did a a poll not long ago within the last year of why women work. And some are working primarily out of passion because they are, uh, you know, working to, to live out a passion or something that, you know, just lights them up on the inside. Some women are working primarily out of a need for provision. That too is honorable work, but there are benefits to our work, benefits personally, benefits professionally, benefits to our family, benefits uh, all across the board. And, and I do think that that's an underappreciated uh, characteristic that working moms have that, that I'd love to see them kind of lean into more a little bit as well. So um, curious your thoughts. You know, you're, you too are a working mom, Jennifer. So other characteristics uh, that you see. Yeah, I, I love that you talked about the passion because in addition to being a working mom, um, I have three daughters and I can clearly see the, the desire in them to be passionate about the job that they are working towards or the job that they have. 
Um, I would be kind of surprised to see at least two of my daughters if they ever chose to be a stay-at-home mom because I can see that passion in them um, to be working and to serving the people that they work. Um, so it is, a, I think, a mindset shift, a generational mindset shift, I'm going to call, because my mother's generation, the majority of them were stay-at-home moms. And um, for, for me, to be a stay-at-home mom was it was this weird tension, this push and pull, like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but I also wanted to be working, but I felt that tension. Like when I was working, then I felt like all the things that I was used to be doing at home were falling apart. And we made a really bad mistake, I will say, when I went from stay-at-home mom to working mom, and we didn't sit down and talk about the household sort of management distribution. And so for the first year or so that I was working, I was still managing the whole house. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So yeah, I think there is definitely um, that tension and that tension too of um, expectations from others. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes both ways um, because as a stay-at-home mom, I felt like I was the one that was supposed to be in the classroom because I wasn't a stay, I wasn't a working mom. Um, but while I loved my children and I may love your children, that does not mean I want to be with them all personally. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I, I, laugh how I work for Mops International. I have six kids, but I would not like um, to be in childcare of any form whatsoever. <laughs> and so I think um, sometimes we put these labels on mm -hmm. a working mom and what they're supposed to be like um, and a stay-at-home mom. Like some. Yeah. You need to offer that working mom the opportunity to go on the field trip rather than just assuming she can't because she may want to. She may have flexibility in her job to go on it. You can't just make that assumption. Um, so I think I think sometimes we need to set aside our stereotypes of what a stay at home mom is like and what a working mom is like and understand that we're all individuals. <laughs> I think you are right on, you know, what, what I think is so interesting is a hundred percent of working moms report experiencing significant mom guilt mm -hmm. and a hundred percent of stay at home moms report experiencing mom guilt. And so, you know, what's so fascinating is uh, this mom guilt is some of the most common ground that we have. And there's not a thing that the researchers can find that mothers in either camp are doing that they should actually feel guilty about. Oh. So this imaginary standard yes. of the other mom that's better than me. 
doesn't actually exist because we all feel like it exists and it's actually an illusion in our minds. And I wholeheartedly believe Jennifer, after reflecting on my own heart and reading the research and talking to hundreds, if not thousands of working mothers in my career, I believe that that mom guilt is rooted, if not entirely, at least the majority of it is rooted in comparison. Oh, it's rooted in the comparison trap. And I think that's where we, we can get into a little bit of trouble with ourselves and with others. It's, it's when we make assumptions about ourselves or we make assumptions about others. It's where um, we start comparing. I think that's at the root of every working mother's tug of war game between work and home. And if one is winning, the other is losing. I think it's because we're comparing someone else's version of either what it looks like in the workplace or what it looks like at home. And, and I think especially right now with social media being such a significant part of our day, uh, it's so easy to just see the highlight reels from everybody's life and whether they're a working mom or a stay at home mom. And we see these beautiful images and these, these highlight reels, the picture perfect moments in people's lives. And we assume that that is their reality. And then we compare the day-to-day reality of our lives next to what is in essence a false standard. And I'm not hating on social media. I enjoy it too, but it just becomes, I think it can fuel the comparison trap if we're not careful. And I think for, for working moms, um, they at times feel, um, feel like there are others who think that they shouldn't be working, that they should be staying at home. And, um, and they, they, they assume that maybe others who don't have a similar lived experience assume that they should have the same lived experiences as someone else. And, but I think that's true on both sides. And I think one of the biggest things in ministry that we need to do is just, just proactively lay down those assumptions and just, uh, make sure that we're moving toward people. Um, because if we're hanging on to those assumptions then they get in the way, of us really moving toward people. And I, I think that's really, I think that's really important for us. And, and, and I think as far as working mothers go and various characteristics, I think there's some logistics that are different. Their days might look a little bit different. Their rhythms and routines might need to look a little bit different. Um, different's not bad. It's just different. And different is also relative. <laughs> right. It's also relative. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because I want to talk a little bit about the the schedule. And again, this is kind of a broad um, generalization because we know, especially when you take into account sort of a work from home or a hybrid situation or mm-hmm. remote working, that schedules can be um, can vary greatly. But what? What is something about the working mom's schedule that is maybe different um, from what we would think of a traditional stay-at-home mom schedule? Well, I think every mom, whether they're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, has um, outside forces navigating some of their time, right? So if your kids uh, go to traditional school, 
um, then, you know, someone else is controlling that school calendar and we submit to that calendar and, you know, things like that. So, so I think for, for a mom who is working as we've defined it, um, a, a big difference is there is an additional outside force that may, that is not true for, for a stay at home mom that is not present for a stay at home mom that is controlling some of their time that, that, uh, dictates hours of the day and how those are spent. Um, and that there's a responsibility there to to steward that, an expectation there. It's an it's an exchange of services for dollars, right? Um, in whatever capacity that looks like. And again, the reasons why moms work are as varied as the moms themselves. And so, you know, I think about uh, my friend Rebecca, who raised three children on her own, worked three jobs um, at a donut shop um, as a as a janitor. Um, and, and then picking up odd jobs from, from other places in order to keep food on her children's table. She was working out of passion, but it was for the provision of her children. But she, was, she wasn't working at the donut shop or doing janitorial work because she felt like that was her life's calling. It's, it was a necessary means to provide for her family. One of the most incredible mothers I've ever met, and all of her work was incredibly honorable. But I also know that there were seasons in her life where she felt like maybe her work wasn't as honorable as someone else's that even in her hard, faithful, uh, diligent work, she compared her work to someone else and felt as though maybe uh, maybe she her work wasn't as valuable. Her logistical schedule um, was managing multiple, multiple channels of work and, and multiple schedules with different clock-in times and policies and procedures and all those different things. And she was actually at home very little. She was rarely at home when her children came home from school. She was almost never there for dinner. And she had to work the, the graveyard shift from time to time. And so often she wasn't there at night, um, but she made it work. And so her version of being a working mother, the majority of her hours were spent um, and dictated through an employer. And in, in her case, three different employers. Other working moms, that's not the case. They have a lot more flexibility. Uh, they have a lot more agency over, over their time and how their days are spent. Um, but, but I do think the common ground there is, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, a working mother, uh, some of her time belongs to her employer. And even if she's self-employed, even if she's put a stake in the ground as a solopreneur, she still has a responsibility to that business, to the commitment that she's made to herself and to, to that venture that she's starting and building on her own. And, and if she doesn't provide that input, then she's not going to get the output of growth on the other side. Um, so I think scheduling wise, that's a, that's a real thing. I, I think um, in my experience, and this is just kind of a, a broad blanket statement, there's going to be exceptions to every, um, every part of this conversation for sure. But but by and large, working moms, um, often I hear them say, you know, I don't have time for hobbies. I don't, I don't have time to watch television. I don't have time. Uh, they struggle to be in a small group a lot of times because by the time that they're done working, um, maybe, maybe the working mom ends her day at five o'clock. Well, then especially if you've got young kids, you're on limited hours before bedtime. And then if your kids are in extracurriculars or whatever, it leaves very little margin hours. And so among working mothers, one of the biggest conversations at hand is, you know, do I have to wait until my kids leave the house before I'm going to have any margin to have friends, 
to participate in a small group, to join a MOPS group, you know, long-term commitments often feel overwhelming and, uh, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of available time because like you said, Jennifer, a lot of these working mothers are still managing their households. And so it just doesn't leave a lot of open time slots. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I mean, unless you have someone else in your house doing the laundry or you are paying somebody to do the Mm -hmm. laundry, um, the laundry still has to get done. It doesn't just magically appear. Yeah, I and I think too that even um, you, I like how you put that there is somebody else dictating your schedule because Mm -hmm. even now in our growing um, population of people who work remote or hybrid of some sort, Mm -hmm. um, just because my car is parked by my house, whether that's in my driveway or on the road, whatever. Just because I am in my home does not mean that I am not or that I am available because, you know, I, I, I work from home. I am sitting in my office at my desk, you know, approximately eight hours a day. And I have flexibility of when those eight hours happen, but I am here for eight hours a day. And so just because I'm at home doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't still somebody um, requiring my attention and time for that. I like, too, how you talked about the the scheduling um, or the logistical side of making connections. Mm-hmm. You know, here at Bops, we talk a lot about making connections. I mean, that's that's basically the gist of MOPS, right? It's finding mm-hmm. your your sisterhood of moms that you're going to do life together with. Um, and so when I think about the working mom and her schedule and sort of the limited hours, what are some things that you think are valuable to help us best connect with a working mom? I think a couple things um, that that we just have to realize is that for many working mothers, daytime hours are dedicated to work and therefore off limits to other interests or pursuits, right? So uh, so a morning gathering or um, an afternoon, you know, even if it's, you know, one o'clock before school gets out or whatever, uh, daytime hours typically between eight and five are pretty off limits to right. most working mothers. And are there variables to that, especially in our hybrid work environment that's increasingly common? Yes, there are exceptions to that. But by and large, those daytime hours are not a fit for most working mothers. Now, Obviously, there's going to be some exceptions. If a mother works at night or in the evenings, then then maybe mornings might work for her. Um, but by and large, uh, daytime hours a lot of times are very difficult. And then I would say another consideration for working moms has to do with, again, I mentioned there's not a lot of margin hours. And so really long-term commitments, just in my own experience, is as a Bible study leader and small group facilitator and, you know, somebody who works with working moms, long-term commitments that don't have an end date are overwhelming. And that 
often doesn't feel like a yes. And so when I think about how can we engage moms, how can we pull in working moms who might not be uh, otherwise engaged with what we're doing, I think about making the yes easy. How do we lower the barrier to entry so that it becomes a no-brainer. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is consider the hours and when we're asking moms to connect. And then number two, the length of time. Is it six weeks or eight weeks? Or or do we have to ask for an entire semester or an entire year of a commitment? Could we shorten the time frame to get started and then always provide opportunity to keep going but but I think a lot of times just, you know, working moms can get their head around, okay, I can make that work for eight weeks. I, I can see that and I can get a pathway. I can see the pieces that I need to move and my schedule or whatever those logistics might be. I can probably make that work. Beyond that, I can't even get my head around how that would work. And so I think about how do we make it easy to say yes? How do we lower the barrier to entry? Shortening the time frame and considering the hours are two things that I think are really important for connection. And I think we got at MOPS, Jennifer, I hope it's okay if I say this, edit it out if it's not. But I think we've got a perception to overcome when it comes to working mothers, because I think many working moms assume MOPS isn't for them. And right. so we've got to tell them that it is. And that we have a place for them and not assume that they know, because I think a lot of working mothers actually assume that it isn't for them. But I think that that is a story that we can rewrite. And I want us to, because I'm a working mom who would have hugely benefited from having a mops group that I could communicate and, and connect with and find community. And I was the guest speaker at my mops group, but I could never actually go. Um, as a participant, because it happened during the day. So I could come in as a speaker, but I couldn't come as a participant. And, um, but I would love to see us tell working mothers that we have a seat for them. Yes. And I think um, you've hit that very, uh, very correctly, that the majority of our groups meet during the day, mostly in the morning. Um, so if I were to tell you that we had a MOPS group in town that met Thursdays from 9 to 11, that would be the norm. Like you would mm-hmm. think that's what what had been part of it. That's all the MOPS groups I have been part of in my past history when I had smaller kids. Um, we are seeing more and more groups that are starting to add an additional group in the evening Love to that. accommodate some of those working moms or even to um, accommodate childcare challenges. I mean, that's a challenge right now too. Um, I even know of a couple of groups that are super successful at that Saturday morning timeframe. I don't know about you, but because I have a requirement to be at work at a certain time, Um, My body has since forgotten how to sleep in on a Saturday and a Sunday. And so, (laughs) gosh darn it, if 5.55 doesn't go around and I'm like, huh, I'm awake. What time is it? And I look over, I'm like, I don't have to be up today. But a working mom, if she's in that rhythm, may have the opportunity to say, okay, great. We're going to go have a 7.30 in the morning mops meeting. And I think the other thing you hit on is the length of time. 
So, you know, sort of traditionally speaking, MOPS meetings are like two hours long. You eat food, you do uh, activity, you have a speaker, you have discussion, like it's this big thing. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that working moms kind of want the fluff uh, and you can define fluff however you want. Whatever part of that feels like it is the extra, they want the most important part. And mm -hmm. what I know to be the most important part is that connection. Yeah, you I would really agree with that, Jennifer. I think part of it too, if a mom is working outside the home or from home in a virtual environment, there's a lot of peopling. Mm -hmm. that, that's not the same as community. Right. But there is a lot of peopling. And so, you know, some of my dearest friends who stayed home when their kiddos were little, who did get to go to MOPS, they they needed the peopling. They needed the adult conversation. They loved, you know, all of the extras that went in that two hours, the eating together and all of that. But for some working moms, some of the, those needs of peopling have been met other ways, but they're looking for that connection. That's the most important part to them. And so, so I appreciate that paradigm that you're presenting there that, you know, some of these meetings could be a little shorter for working moms and it would be viewed as more accessible to them. And, and I think that's really true. 90 minutes is about the max that a lot of them, at least in my experience of hosting different types of groups for working mothers feel like they can commit to. Um, but with, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody's groups in their community right. and, and their women, but, you know, I think just a willingness to try some different things and, and figure out what works. And I think it starts with an awareness of our communities and our churches probably aren't the exception nationally, we're saying 70% of mothers are working. And so, you know, if we really want to be reaching out to mothers in our community, our neighborhoods and our churches, then we've got to realize they're actually the majority. And, and if we're not currently reaching them, then how can we, how can we, you know, create a space that, that works for them to come and to connect. And so I think your, your thoughts are right on. Well, and I think you hit on something there when you said, you know, you have to look at your community and and don't be afraid to try some things. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you say, OK, let's try something in the evening. Two things to remember. One, it doesn't have to look identical to the morning. It's going right. to look a little different. It might even look a little different in size. And success is not just in your numbers. So if you have a morning group that has 60 moms and you start an evening group and you get five moms and you're like, oh, well, this didn't work. Uh, no, it worked really well for those five moms. And so don't count that as as not success. But the other thing is be willing to try a couple of different things. You mentioned the time commitment. Um, and one of the beauties of that is this new collective that you wrote for us, which I am so excited about, that is all about working moms. Mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a shorter time frame than a full MOPS year, right? So you could say, let's do this collective. Um, you know, let's start it in, in say, January, and we're going to go for a couple of weeks, and we'll do this collective. And at the end of that collective, you may have found that these moms have formed this 
connection and are willing to continue to meet. Um, but if they don't, then you made those connections with those moms for that time and you gave that gift of, of that time with each other. So I think that's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I, I really do. And a lot of times working moms know other working moms. And so, you know, once they have some firsthand experience, it's very likely they know other people who would benefit from that same opportunity and that same experience. And, you know, the collective that you mentioned is laid out in such a way that it could be done weekly. It could be done every other week. Um, you could, you could cut it down and make it shorter. You know, you can stretch it out, make it longer. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of flexibility there, but definitely designed to have a, a shorter time frame, um, more along the lines of that six to eight weeks so that it's got a clear start and a clear end. And then you can re-up or extend or run another round. But, um, hopefully just again, trying to lower the barrier to entry and make a yes easy for these moms. I like the way you said that too. Like you, you can decide on the pace. If you want to meet um, twice a month, like maybe a traditional mops group group, but you could also meet once a month. And that's another way to say, Hey, we're just, it's just once a month, you know, for, for, you know, 60 to 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um And like you said, working moms know other working moms, too. So if you're a working mom and you're listening to this, you could say, hey, I'm going to grab this group of moms. We're going to do this at lunchtime or we're going to do this on um, a Thursday night or a Saturday morning. Like you pick the time and grab a couple other moms that it works with and start there. And I think that's just a a neat way to start that deeper, um, deeper connection. I think the collective would work really well if you if you happen to go to work every day with the same group of people in an office building and you're not working remotely. You could you could do it remotely on Zoom as well. But if you've got working moms in your workplace, this could be a phenomenal way to spend your lunch together once a week. Uh, you know, you don't even have to leave your office or you could gather remotely on Zoom if you're looking for ways to build relationships with other colleagues and coworkers, it's a whole strategy in and of itself that I think can be pretty profound. I love it. Okay. We will give more information about how you can get your hands on the Working Moms Collective in the show notes because I would I want to make sure everybody can find it. So we'll put that information there. What are um, a couple of ways that we as MOPS leaders can come alongside a working mom? Are there um, sort of, a, I, I think that the term I'm looking for is there's sort of a need that working moms have that we might be able to step in and say, we see this and we want to walk alongside you in this. You know, I think the needs that, that could be addressed are common to every mom. I think, I think a lot of working moms wish other moms knew uh, that often they feel disconnected and lonely. That's a common reality among moms who are working. And I think it's a common reality for many moms. I don't think it's unique to working moms. I do think sometimes there's an assumption that because a mom is working, that that's a built-in community and that is not the same thing. And so I think that 
also, you know, Jennifer, you and I have been friends for quite a while and I've had the joy and privilege of, of serving a lot of leaders, even in my local community. And a lot of those women who are in leadership positions have such public facing roles that uh, they don't have a lot of safe spaces where they can have vulnerable, honest conversations. And people look at them and assume that they're strong and confident, and they are. Uh, but also, they're human. Right. And, you know, I, so I think there's a lot of working moms that wish other moms knew and understood that, you know, yes, they're wondering if they're doing a good job as a mother, that yes, they're caught in that tug of war. But it's also very easy as a working mother to find yourself disconnected from true community. Sure. Where that mom guilt comes in is a lot of working moms end up feeling like every other waking moment needs to go to their family. And so they end up neglecting self-care and meaningful personal relationships. And so I think as MOPS leaders paying attention to the working moms and your sphere of influence and becoming a voice of encouragement and safety and community um, for them um, is a phenomenal way to minister to those working moms. Does that make any sense to you, Jennifer? Absolutely. I feel like that's that is that is a word for life in general. We yes. all could use the encouragement. We need people that are our cheerleaders mm -hmm. in in life. And I think um, very often I will hear working moms talk about how there isn't the their job and the people that they are in community with in their job know the working them. They may not even have any clue how many kids they have, kids' names, mm -hmm. because sometimes your home life can be seen as a liability, yeah, not, not an asset. And so here you have a mom who loves her family deeply, but she doesn't necessarily share about that in that community. And That's so right. I think to have an opportunity to just um, be a cheerleader, be an encouragement. Um, I always say ooh and ah over her kids because yes. they and joy. She wants other people to think they're amazing too. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Jennifer, I think all of us underestimate the weight of our words. And the opportunity that we have to become generous with encouragement, to be chief encouragement officers within our sphere of influence, wherever we are. And, uh, and I think that that's true for, for everyone. And, and I think we won't regret it. I think if we turn up the volume dial on that, I think, I think that's pretty important. Well, Meredith, is there anything else that you want to share with us um, as we just think about um, sort of a, a life of a working mom and how we can be that um, encourager, that connector, that come alongside and let's do life together? Is there anything else we should know? Well, Jennifer, I love that question. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything else that we absolutely should know, but I can tell you a couple of thoughts that I've just really been thinking about in this space and as part of this conversation. A couple of things that I hope working moms know and understand and that I think that that we as MOPS leaders can help them know and understand. And that is that God uses working women to build his kingdom and to participate in his work and that he's not using them in spite of their work. 
he is working in and through their work. And I think as we consider ways to to serve working moms in our communities, churches, and neighborhoods, um, cheering them on in that regard, that God is using them to build his kingdom. And he's not using them in spite of their work. He is using their work and them through their work to build his kingdom. And I think that is the voice of truth that can help trump and, and override the mom guilt, the tug of war that a lot of these working moms experience, the comparison trap, that if we can help these moms anchor in those truths, uh, that's a paradigm shift. And there's a lot of freedom in that. And as sisters and as fellow mamas, we can help champion those truths for these working moms. Oh, I think that'll, to quote what Annie F. Downs will say, that'll preach. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, that's it right there. Like, nowhere in my Bible does it say, thou must be a stay-at-home mom or thou must be a working mom. I think that's where God has given us freedom to step into our our giftings and the person that he made us and the the path that we have before us. And we we get to make some of those choices. And this is just an opportunity to say, God's going to use me right where I am mm-hmm. right now. And um, so that is, that is definitely a shift that we all need to make. Yes. Thank you, Meredith. Oh, thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thanks, and, Jennifer. And we can just say with def, with definity, that 100% of moms feel that mom guilt and 100% do not need to. That's right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like if that is a statistic, there are very few things in life that you can say 100% of this is true. And I think that's a that's one to stake our claim on right now. So yes, I appreciate it. Amen. Absolutely. Well, thank you for chatting with us, Meredith. And again, leaders, go check out the collective for working moms. You can find the link in the show notes. Hey, Sarah, it's great to chat with you again. I'm so glad you could be here to talk with us today about working moms because you're a working mom and I'm a working mom. And um, I just think there's this, this, there's this stigma sometimes between a working mom and a stay-at-home mom. And what we know is MOPS serves stay-at-home moms really, really well, right? Um, That's tradition, you know, we're coming up on 50 years. We've done that really well. Uh, But we also know that 70% of moms are working moms. And Mm -hmm. a lot of MOPS groups have working moms in them. They aren't necessarily the majority. So that's what we're kind of talking about a little bit today. And would you, let's start here. You're a working mom. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you face as a working mom. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me. It's always fun to see your face and talk to all of our leaders. Hello, leaders. Gosh, challenges of being a working mom. Where to begin, right? I think ultimately for myself, when I entered working again, because basically I was a stay-at-home mom for a good 10 years. 
And it wasn't until my son was 10 to where I really just felt this overwhelming uh, falling. I don't even know if I want to say calling, but to work for Mops International. And I just knew I needed to keep walking through those doors. But I think that what comes with that, and you probably even talked about this with Meredith, is just the the mom guilt that we put on ourselves. Um, Because then your mind is divided, right? My mind is not then just solely focusing on my kids and their upbringing and managing the house and doing all the normal motherhood to do's. Now I also have this additional responsibility where people are counting on me and it's a vocational responsibility. People are paying me, right? So it just kind of ups the ante on um, stress and just feeling like my brain is on overload. So with that, I think it's just finding that right balance, which I always say this balance is a unicorn. I don't know that it exactly exists. However, but finding more of um, healthy rhythms so that I am not constantly feeling mom guilt, right? So I always would compare like, oh, my older two children, they got to go to Disneyland weekly, or I was so good at taking them to parks, like these different experiences as part of their upbringing. And then my youngest, who's six, Lucas, just feeling that guilt that he's not having those experiences. So I'd say that's probably one of the biggest challenges. But, you know, I can speak more into that. I don't know if you want me to do that now or later of just what I realize, though, um, that I don't need to feel like that, you know, in the sense that he doesn't know any different and I'm still showing up for him. It just looks different. Than what it looked like for the older two. And that's okay. And that's okay. So, that's and that's point. okay. Yeah. Good point. And just a side note here in case anybody's like, what? Disneyland weekly? Sarah lives right <laughs> down the street from Disneyland. Sorry, so. that sounds horrible. <laughs> but you know what? COVID hit and they put the kibosh on the passes. They're back now, but now it's a fortune. I'm not, not yeah. doing that anymore. Yeah. But it is it is funny. Like some of the things that we might think are important um when we when it comes down to having to set priorities and that's what i think as a working mom my priorities look a little bit different than they did when i was a stay-at-home mom and it's not a right or wrong good or bad it's different and i think that's the thing um you know we talked a little bit when we talked with liana in our podcast episode about single moms. So leaders, if you haven't listened to that one, I suggest you go back and listen to that one. It was so good. Yeah. Um, But we talked too about how it is one more thing that you are having to hold in your brain or that asks for your time. Mm -hmm. And so um, all moms, regardless of whether you're working full-time, part-time, or you're staying at home, um, and not working for a paycheck. You are still working, right? Oh, 100%. You know, we've clarified that a million times in this, so please hear us when we say that. But it is one more responsibility. Um, and as a working mom, you know, for me working full-time, it is a 40 hours a week responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a big chunk of time. And so that is where I feel the push and the pull between, oh, you know, I want to get this done, but I also need to work. And so even with a supportive spouse who does 
a lot of some of the the home management kind of things, um, it is still another piece clamoring for our attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the piece that I would love um, our leaders to understand is um, that as a mom, I have so many things looking for my attention. I desperately want the community of mops, but it may be at a different place in my priority list of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the mom guilt. Yes. I mean, Meredith and I talked about the mom guilt and how that is a universal thing. It doesn't matter if you're a working mom or a stay-at-home mom. Um, I love the statistic she gave. A hundred percent of moms feel mom guilt. Like what else can we say? A hundred percent. I know. Right. Right. Gosh. Yeah. So it is there. Um, but like you said, it's understanding that, um, we're in a different space with our kids. We, um, it's not a comparison thing. It's not mm-hmm. me comparing myself to you and what you do. I can't take my kids to Disneyland weekly. Like that would be a major <laughs> trip for us. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Like we compare so easily and think that oh, we're not measuring so up, but every yeah. mom does that. So, so because we are both MOPS um, international staff, and um, work very closely with our leaders. How can we encourage our leaders here to come alongside the working mom? What are some things that you can think of, both as your experience as a working mom, but also as a staff member, that would be really supportive to a working mom um, and providing the opportunity for her to have community? It's a great question. And I think just as we are specifically talking to you guys, our leaders, I want to encourage you, you know, as an organization right now, and, and truly even just as a membership manager, you know, as Jen said in the beginning, we've served stay at home moms really well. And that's so great and edifying and giving them empowerment. However, there are so many other moms that we haven't been able to actually touch, right? And the working mom is a huge audience. So with with that stat, what it was 70%, right? Yeah, are working 70% moms. of moms are working moms. So that's that's a huge staggering stat and it's an opportunity to be able to expand as an organization and say, "Hey, we truly want to reach all moms," right? So as a leader, I think it can feel overwhelming, especially if you're serving the stay-at-home mom on a Tuesday morning really well to think, well, gosh, obviously, if they're a working mom, most most of that probably means they're working during the day, right? And so to be able to provide a space for them, it would mean probably something in the evening. And that can feel, I've led a group for 10 years. I'm sure you probably think, oh my gosh, like there's no way I can add one more thing to my plate. But what I would say to that is, you know what? Utilize the moms that you have in your group. Reach out. Find out who might even be a current working mom. And she just happens to have the flexibility to show up on a Tuesday morning. You never know if they would be interested in helping you begin like an evening track. Um, Just from personal experience, our own local mops group with COVID, you know, we all had to move to the evenings because of all the restrictions 
and childcare, and everyone knows this, but once we got the green light to go back to mornings, we really had to sit with it because we realized how many new moms had the opportunity to come to our evening group. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to keep an evening track. And so we actually will do a morning track on a Tuesday. And then that same week, we started a Thursday evening group. We don't have childcare because that just complicated it. We tried to make it super simple to be able to just recreate what we did on Tuesday. And so now we do, we have a morning track and we have an evening track. And you guys, I will say it's pretty incredible just to see the growth that is already happening just after one short year. And the, the gratitude that comes from these moms that get to actually come to a mops or mom's next it's actually a mops and mom's next so we have both tables um they're just so grateful and i think because especially after covid they do like you said in the beginning they just really want that connection and the opportunity even though they might be working during the day yeah so talk to me a little bit about the practicality um of what that looks like i i ran an evening group for several years too. And I know that sometimes an evening group can look a little different than what we typically see in a morning group. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences in your groups? Like, is do you run them differently? Are they short? Is it shorter? Is your content different? Tell me just some of the logistic parts of yeah. it. I think, you know, overall, we try and keep it somewhat similar, obviously the content. So the speaker that we might've had on Tuesday, we actually do book them twice. Um, And I know not every group might have the funds or capability to do that, but you'd be surprised uh, how many speakers actually are fine with it and still keep their costs decently low. Right. Um, Either you do a speaker or a video or video or or whatever that looks like. Yeah, it's basically the same content, though. It is the same content. It is shorter. So typically our morning uh, track is two and a half hours. Our evening one is from seven to nine p.m. Um, The beauty of that is that I think even within our programming, our schedule, we still have flexibility because in all honesty, we'll end at nine, but the moms are still sitting there (laughs) talking till probably 930, to which I'm like, maybe we just need to make this official. But because they're there, once they're there, they don't have to go pick up their kids. It kind of provides this unique space of getting to continue to talk and not have to rush out like you do on usually a typical morning time. Um, but you can, you simplify, right? It may not be as grand. Um, our Tuesday morning group is, is rather large, but, um, we don't have to have exactly the same icebreaker, or if we did an opener, it doesn't have to be exactly the same. You just can simplify, um, each piece of like programming and content that you planned for that first one. I think the biggest thing um, for evening groups, a lot of the times I always hear is just like, well, what do we do? Do we bring food? Do we not? Is that an added stress? Especially if many of these moms are coming after work or, you know, like, what does that look like? And so personally, we kind of pulled our moms and they definitely, they wanted dinner. There is something, um, so meaningful, right, about breaking bread around the table and just being able to have a meal, to have conversation. Um, And so it's really worked out, though. We've been able to just kind of split the tables and say half the table bring 
this week, the other half the next week, and people have had a lot of fun with it. And we've done so many different like food bars, right? Like nacho bar, salad bar, baked potato bar. Uh, they did a soup bar one time with all these different homemade soups, really, really utilizing that Instapot or Crock-Pot, right? Especially the Crock-Pot, because if you're going to go to work or even if you're working from home, if you plan ahead and you know, hey, I'm up for food duty, you just throw the chicken with the salsa in the Crock-Pot or whatever, you know, if it's taco salad night or, but it, it's worked out so well to do that type of food um, right. and and just let you know, delegate out to the moms of like what sides to bring or what soup. And so it's been really fun. That's I've had fun. a lot of fun with it. I think you touched on it too, is polling the moms. Um, the mm-hmm. evening group that I did start, we too started at seven. Um, we were in a smaller community. And so moms had time to get home and get dinner and, you know, utilize that before they came. We did desserts. So, you know, we'd have, so there was something um, for that mom who didn't get dinner. We gave her dessert. And, you know, sometimes apple pie counts as dessert. I'm just going to say, or counts as dinner. As dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It counts as dinner. (laughs) So, um, but I do think you're right. There is something about that breaking bread together, but nobody says that that's got to be a gourmet meal, right? Um, So there's a way to keep it super simple. And when you're talking about a working mom, I mean, if I said, oh, yeah, we're doing a nacho bar and I have to grab shredded lettuce from the grocery store on the way there. Perfect. I can do that and bring it. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a way to do to do that. I think you also hit on it when you said simplify it like as a working mom, do not waste my time. My time is so precious. And, and that's true for everybody, but I feel like there's so many things competing for my time. I want this community, but don't waste my time. Like, I'm all for a good icebreaker. I think it's important to build up that, the, the purpose of it, to have us connect and have conversations so we don't all walk in kind of sitting, looking at each other, like, what are we supposed to do? So there's a purpose in an icebreaker, right? Mm -hmm. But don't make it a 30-minute long icebreaker because I just need short and sweet. So, And I want to get down to talking about something important or learning something. And so I think for... um, when we're thinking about working moms and planning meeting time. And I'm going to say this, whether you're meeting in the morning, whether you're meeting in the evening, whether you're meeting on a Saturday morning, like if you know you've got a good chunk of working moms that are going to be coming to your group, be very mindful of your schedule and make sure you're not wasting time. You're leaving space for them to have conversation but not to the point where they start looking around going, are we, are we still talking? Are we, you know, are we still talking on this topic or, you know, whatever. So I think it's, um, I think like you said, when you can pull your moms and know um, what do you need, need? that is the best way to approach it. So knowing your audience, right? Yeah. If you, if you're like, okay, that's it. I'm going to do this thing for working moms. I'm going to put out all of this information and you say, come on a Thursday night. But the moms that you have in mind have an activity that happens on a Thursday night. They're not coming. Mm -hmm. So start with a couple of moms in mind 
and start there. That would be the other suggestion that I would have. Yeah, and so, I would say too, you know, like how we operate, again, this is just from personal experience. Our entire team that puts on the Tuesday morning, they did commit to the Thursday evening as well. However, we definitely operate under the fact that not everyone has to be there every time. Um, like you plan for it, but life, if life gets in the way, that's okay. And because we have multiple people on our team, like, again, my encouragement, build your team if possible. I know how challenging that can be sometimes, but sometimes when you have more people, right, like multiple hands make lighter work. That's, you know, and so it just helps the commitment, commitment, not feel as high pressured because there is that freedom, especially we're going to have like three coordinators this year and some are working, right? I, I just feel like more and more moms are starting to work yet still have a heart to volunteer for the ministry. And so we have to be creatively thinking on how to just make the work not feel so overwhelming so that right. people burn out. So if a couple people on our team can't come on that Thursday night, it's no big deal, right. you know? And then there's this trade-off and people aren't burning out and not feeling like they're sacrificing certain family events that they needed to be at, but they had committed to this Thursday thing. So it just, it really does kind of work its way and flushes out. Um, I think too, for groups that are smaller um, and, and maybe they're going, what, three coordinators, it's just me. I just want to speak to them really quick because when I started my group, it was just me. And I, I did the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm committing to this evening group. And some weeks I had eight or nine moms that were there. And some weeks I had two moms and there were just three of us there. And I just committed that I, it didn't matter whether it was just me and one other mom, we were going to meet, we were going to talk about what the topic was and, um, and there were some sweet times when it was just me and two other moms and deeper relationships that that could occur. And so I think the importance in that is committing and the moms knowing it's there. But you said, too, one of the things um, you and I had talked about this previously that you tell to the moms is just get there. Like, just commit to getting there. Because sometimes once you get there, you're like, oh, yeah, this is good. But when I was leaving work, I was thinking, oh, I could go home and put my pajamas on and watch Chicago Fire. Like, it's so yeah. true. Oh, yeah, I do. I From the beginning, I say, guess what, ladies? Probably almost every time you might have that that temptation and what you just said, Jen, of like, oh, I'm so tired, right? And so especially if they go home first, I think that's almost harder because you get home, you probably did change your clothes and you're like, oh, this couch feels really great. I just say, get in the car. Just yep. get in just the car. get in the car and go back. <laughs> just get in the car. That's your first step. Because truly, they all admit, right, after they leave that that evening, they're never regretting the fact that they came. Right. I think that's important, too. Just acknowledging it up front. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, this is how you're going to feel sometimes. I just encourage you to overcome it and come anyway. And I would say that to any mom, whether you're morning mops, uh, evening mops, whatever. There are those days. And I think especially post-COVID, Mm -hmm. And you just have those like, oh, there's some things that just feel like hard work. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, just go. You will not regret it. Just go. I feel like that speaks directly to the leader too. You know, leading, we all know it's a lot of work and it's volunteer work. And I will definitely admit there's just been so many times, you know, where I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm so tired. Like I don't want to go to this next event. And obviously there's space and room where sometimes you may- maybe just need to not go to the event. But overall, I'd have to tell myself, just get in the car. Right. And every time after that meeting or whatever it was, God would just give me glimmers of just like really fruitful moments to where you're like, okay, yes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it is, you know, to further God's kingdom and to him be all the glory. So. So um, so if there is a group that has start or a, a person that's listening and has said, um, "Hey, I'd I'd love to um, I'd love to consider this, but it's kind of scary, you know. Like, oh, starting a new group that can feel scary." Um, Meredith wrote this Working Moms Collective. Uh-huh. Can you tell us a little bit more from the Mops side of things? Tell us a little bit more about this collective and how. Um, how easy, I'm just going to state it right here, how easy it would be to do that. Yes, absolutely. So I've had the pleasure of just kind of working uh, alongside Meredith and getting this collective created and launched. So it's been about, gosh, over two years, not over two years, about two years. This has definitely been a work in progress. Um, But we wanted it to be, you know, meeting the needs perfectly. And so the collective, you can find it on the member site. And the member site actually houses all of our collectives on there free, you know, so they're free with your membership. And so the collective is about a six to eight week study. I'm forgetting exactly six or eight weeks, but this would be the perfect tool and content for you to just say, hey, friends, I'm going to run this collective. It's all laid out for you. There's a facilitator guide. There's a mom guide, and it is content that speaks directly to the working mom. I don't have the table of contents pulled up in front of me, but like she talks about the mom guilt. She talks about, you know, when life feels or when uh, work feels like it's winning, home life probably feels like it's suffering. And so just practical things, too, um, that get brought into this collective that you will all just enjoy being able to think through and discuss and work through too, right? To where you come out of it, hopefully feeling renewed in the sense and understanding, you know, your work is good work. All of it is good work. The collective is actually called good work, right? And so you could easily say, hey, I'm going to meet at this time in the evening. For anybody that wants to join, it's a perfect way to begin and then just see where it goes. You might get through that collective and you might end up having more and more interests And then you're kind of developing maybe an an evening group, right? That meets consistently versus just just for that study time. But we're excited about it. I think it's going to be really meeting the needs as we are trying to to cast our net further and begin to reach working moms. Yeah. So um, just to give people the details of it, um, there are eight sessions to it. Thank you. So you could run eight weeks, um, which if you want to follow the normal, the typical MOPS model and meet twice a month, you know, that'd be four months of meeting, right? 
Um, yep. But I also think you have the space too to stretch it out. And you could go for eight months, which would be a full year of things, and do um, one session for both times a month or meet once a month. Like you have so much flexibility in how you want to make things work. Um, but as for the collective, there's eight sessions. Um, and these are the topics. Why do you work? Does your work matter? Are you carrying mom guilt? What are your super mom strengths? And let me just tell you, everybody has them. <laughs> are you cultivating community? Is work-life balance possible? And let me just say, I think you can guess what the answer is going to be, but it is something we all strive for. And, and sometimes that's unattainable, right? Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? Do you have rhythms of rest? And then the last session is, are you ready for a renewal? Like, are you just ready to feel refreshed? And I don't know about you, but I feel like as a as a working mom, sometimes that idea of rest and renewal feels completely elusive. Yeah. And so just such an excellent study. Again, uh, you can find it on the member site. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. Um, this would be a great um, start to see if an evening group is something that you can absolutely actually launch and go and have interest um, just a great way to to start and I mean honestly eight sessions it's a great time to go okay we tried that it didn't work but it was a short commitment it was eight sessions yeah, yeah. so I just encourage you guys to try um, to create a space where a working mom could feel welcome to be part of the community, whatever that might look like for your community. You as the leader know your community the best. Mm -hmm. You may know, oh, we've got working moms and they have flexible schedules that they can meet with us on Thursday mornings. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Make sure that as you're speaking to them, as you're talking about your topics, that you're thinking, we're not just offering things for a stay-at-home mom, we're offering things also for a working mom. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, uh, let us go forward now with no mom guilt. Yep. We're doing the Watch best that over. right here <laughs> with what we have, uh -huh. kids and all. And leaders, if you have any questions or would love to chat with either one of us, you can email us at leaders at mops.org. And if you're interested in starting a new group, uh, whether part of your current group and you want to start um, a, a second group at a different time um, or you want to start one all on your own, you can email startagroup at mops.org. All one word, no spaces, start a group. I guess it's really three words smushed together. But there you go. Start a group at mops.org and I'll put a link for that in the show notes too. Sarah, thanks for having me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Leaders, I hope you enjoyed these conversations as much as I did. Meredith King wrote our collective study for Mops International on this topic of working moms. All of the collectives are available on the Mops member site at members.mops.org as a benefit of your membership. Having a genuine, supportive, honest group of female friends in your circle is one of the biggest life upgrades available. So let's throw the doors wide open and welcome all moms to our community.